Dude, have you watched this safety class, Kyle? A little bit, yeah. I have, I have, an, I have an idea. Most of the top guys just suck, honestly. Sorry to burst your bubble. No, I, I, oh, man, I'm not. That's a, our whole second half. No, like that's what we're talking about. Welcome, one and all, to episode 108 of the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, last week went so well, we doubled down and went with another terrible Twitter draft analyst, our good friend, Kyle Posey. Kyle, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. I'm not going to be able to top your guest from last week, but I will do what I can. (laughs) And, of course, last week's show, the free show, uh, included the one and only Sully Chiefs on Twitter uh, talking offensive line and really kind of diving deep into that that arena that Justin and I are just too afraid to get bullied on Twitter to dive into <laughs> too much. He, he really saved our bacon, I think, because now we can we can be like, yeah, I said the same thing, uh, you know, that Sully was saying about so-and-so. So, uh, you know, you can't bully me. All you all and you do is bring up the takes that he was right about. That's how you do exa- it. Exactly. It's and a perfect strategy. I'm glad to have uh, KP back on the show. We've talked about him. We've, we've talked about some of his takes. And he, uh, for those of you that listened to the old Draft Breakdown podcast before we came back, Kyle was a regular with us uh, and always has great takes. And obviously now we're a much more professional show. We only – you know, only have a, a three drink maximum when we do these shows. So uh, it's good to have Kyle back for some some good, you know, strong professional podcasting. Yeah, and, and Kyle is uh, the man at, at the biggest SB Nation NFL site, uh, Niners Nation. He does some, some work for the main SB Nation site as well. You're kind of all over the place at SB Nation right now. I am mostly Niners Nation, obviously, but we've gravitated into daily podcasts. So I do a Wednesday show, I do a Friday draft show. I get a get a little bit of all the worlds. The Wednesday show, we pretty much just make fun of the terribleness of the NFL Sundays, and then now uh, we're just recapping all the draft and the pro days where the numbers and times are very accurate. Yeah, I mean, this is without a doubt the fastest class in the history of draft classes, and I don't see how that's impossible. Like. Sure, we don't have real times at a combine, but you know why would schools and, and agencies lie about what guys are actually running? Well, we do have the, the Exos combine. That was pretty real. Um, but you know, speaking of the Niners, Kyle, it's not like there's anything really going on with the Niners, so we'll just probably gloss over that. But I did want to talk about uh, Michael Lombardi. Michael Lombardi, former general manager of the Cleveland Browns, good pal of uh, Bill Belichick. And, you know, he, he was talking about something that you might know a little something about. So Michael Lombardi, good friend of Bill Belichick, and uh, he came out on a podcast recently and he said that the pick at number three for San Francisco 49ers is going to be between Mac Jones and Trey Lance. He said flat out it's not going to be Justin Fields. So it – Everybody was saying it was Mac Jones when he went when Kyle Shanahan went to the Mac Jones Pro Day and skipped Fields, but now since then he's gone to Fields second Pro Day and Lance's second Pro Day. So are all these guys still in the mix? Are they still deciding? And I imagine that they are still deciding. I would not say that they are all in the mix. If we just think about Mac Jones, who 
the media has created into this superstar quarterback, despite him, you know, he redshirted as a freshman at Alabama. If you are good enough, you will you will play. Look no further than Tua. Uh, redshirted as a freshman, as I mentioned, lost the quarterback competition as a sophomore to Tua. And then as a junior this this past season, well, he also lost to Jalen Hurts. But this finally in his fourth year, he became a starter. So he was an afterthought under Nick Saban this entire time. You cannot convince me that Nick Saban ever counted on Mac Jones to play. So here we are. Now, all of a sudden, he is a lottery pick or a lottery pick like this is the NBA. He's a top five, top three pick. I'm not buying it, not for one second. And as I mentioned, the media was creating this. We heard Adam Schefter go on record, and he's he's been telling us that for a couple weeks now, Mac Jones is the guy, but it just doesn't add up when you think of the draft capital the 49ers traded up for, who else is on the board, and I feel like that's what matters. So Trey Lance, Justin Fields, they've both been working with Kyle Shanahan's right-hand man, essentially the quarterback tutor, John Beck, who also played under Shanahan. Those two guys are who I imagine it comes down to. I just don't think that Mac Jones is his type. Kyle Shannon's been on record saying that he's evolved his thinking from the traditional pocket passer to a guy who's just big, strong, and fast. You know, that the prototypical quarterback who you can you, you can build from the ground up and mold. And I feel like two of those quarterbacks fit the mold in this draft, and neither of those two are Mac Jones. When you look at the three guys we've talked a lot about the the just maybe the limitations of who Mac Jones is as a player and it doesn't mean he's bad or anything of that nature but you know we've thrown names out like uh Kirk Cousins we've thrown names out uh you know in that like vein, Jimmy Garoppolo Jimmy Garoppolo yeah and and so when you look at it from that perspective and then you talk about a guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance and the difference in their upside it i i feel like if you take mac jones it's because you haven't really watched justin fields at all because fields has done the same thing right like he's been as successful without the talent surrounding him now that's not to say that ohio state doesn't have a ton of talent but Justin Fields has done it for two seasons at Ohio State. Mac Jones did it for a season. And then if you're truly going with upside, wouldn't the guy be Trey Lance, who, you know, from just, as you said, that athletic profile is just everything that Mac Jones is not? Yeah, and that's a fair question. So I have some takes here. So first off, we keep hearing that Mac Jones is the most pro-ready or that Mac Jones is – and that's why the 49ers will take him. And you keep coming back to, you know, because they invested in Jimmy Garoppolo with a second-round pick or Kirk Cousins, who was a fourth-round pick. So I don't know how any of those tie into being a top-five pick. But pro-ready, even though he started the most – game or as many games as Trey Lance – uh, 22% of his passing yards came on RPOs and screens, which is 11% higher than Trey Lance and 14% higher than Justin Fields. I don't know how you can come to the conclusion that what we saw Mac Jones do at Alabama was more pro-ready than what Ohio State or what North Dakota State did. And just as far as upside goes, to me, I think Justin Fields has more upside than anybody. And Thank you. I mean, just look what he's done. Look what he did against Clemson, like the toughness. Obviously, that's going to stand out, and that will stand out, I imagine, to a, a guy like Kyle Shanahan, who has had problems on his team with injuries. 
But I, I just feel like if you're talking about the guy who can do the most, who has the most talent, whether it's throwing the ball 60 yards down the field, running for 40 yards, hitting these tight window throws, who what that matters in my mind more than anything else, any of these other traits, the fact that Fields is willing to try to make those throws goes a long way for me. So upside, I think uh, Fields is a guy. But I would say, and Justin's probably not going to agree with this, the most pro-ready of any of them, of them is Lance, just because of what he was asked to do at North Dakota State, the type of offense they ran, what he did at the line of scrimmage. So all of the narratives are so far off as far as pro-ready, upside, and just um, guys who need more more time. So I, I would go Fields as far as upside, Lance pro-ready, and then Mac Jones would just be like – just because of what he had to do and what he's gone through, the lack of adversity, and when he, you know, when he his foot was under fire, it wasn't good. Like he made a lot of mistakes that are being glossed over. It's interesting to see, and this can be the last kind of thing about the quarterbacks, the the meteoric rise of of Zach Wilson to being the consensus kind of second pick at this point. If you are the 49ers and let's just say you had the second pick would Wilson be the guy or would you be looking elsewhere so if I were the 49ers and I I've heard you know through the rumor mill that Kyle Shanahan really likes Zach Wilson and really likes Justin Fields and is also high on Trey Lance but if I were making the selection it would be Justin Fields because he has been 1b since high school because of that Trevor Lawrence guy and there is nothing that we have seen since his time at Ohio State to make you think anything otherwise because if you flip the roles I imagine everything would be the same except for Fields he would always come out on top and I feel like that with accuracy with the playmaking with the pocket presence everywhere it goes and then we give we always give these guys you know Kirk Cousins Jimmy Garoppolo the Kyle Shanahan bump what in the world would he do with a talent like Justin Fields I always go back to talent traits this is a five-star kid like he's been he's he was supposed to be this good since the elite 11 and he lived up to the hype that just kind of tells you uh just the more that he plays and and again from 2019 to 2020 he got a lot better and for whatever reason that gets glossed over as well so uh we we skip over a lot of parts and just keep coming to these typical narratives with a quarterback like justin fields and all these narratives continue to get debunked and i imagine if he is the pick with San Francisco, uh, we're going to be laughing at a lot of the things said this month. I, I can't wait. If he gets picked third overall, I'm just going to be – it's going to be hard to contain my enthusiasm. But real quick, what happens if he goes what, – what happens if the Jets throw us off for a loop and take him number two, and it's between Lance and Wilson? I think it's going to be Wilson, no hesitation at all. Interesting. Well, the reason we brought Kyle on this show um, – and, and Kyle, aside from the excellent work covering the 49ers and discussing all things NFL for SB Nation, he actually coaches high school football. So he knows, we'll say, a little bit about I mean, we haven't got to Sage Rosenfels, you know, that he knows how to watch all 22 <laughs> film yet. Uh, we, we put in his application for it. But uh, you obviously know quite a bit about defense, um, specifically defensive backs. And, and one of the things that we talked about last week with Soli uh, is understanding where your limitations as a um, analyst, scout, whatever you want to call yourself, um, 
where they where the that lies and, and for me i can tell you without a doubt the thing i'm worst at is watching cornerbacks and safeties one because i feel like coverages are so hard to understand um would you not agree with that kyle the way that coverages have evolved just in the past decade it is a very difficult thing to identify because they're playing nowadays they're not just playing your typical cover three they're playing like split safe split field coverages where on one side they're doing one thing on the other side they're doing another thing and more often than not it's an if situation so if the number two wide receiver does this you are going to do this if the number one receiver does this then you're going to do this and there are so many ways to get confused that if you're not repping it a hundred times it is impossible for us to know so we just have to go on who's you know pointing at who and who's the angriest <laughs> yeah. to know who whose mistake it was, and then we can make our evaluations that way. That's how I do it, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, so one of the things about this class has been just how excellent the cornerback class is. You look at just the overall class; it feels like it really could be six to seven deep in terms of guys that contribute in year one and and have long-term kind of success as pros oh i would go further than that i think it's even deeper than that i i would imagine that this class at least you know that the guys at the top are are stronger this is probably the best class since 2017 when they had like denzel ward and uh, marshawn or not marshawn Lattimore, but uh denzel ward whoever else was drafted in that, that class but yeah, so we have J.C. Horn, we have Patrick Satan, you have those guys at the top who are continuously being mocked there. And then uh, Caleb Farley, not sure what to, what's going to happen with his, you know, back situation. But if he is, if he is, ha- does have a clean bill of health, you know, he seems like he's going to develop into a very strong player. And you have other guys like Greg Newsom, Asante Samuel Jr. And then you have a couple opt-outs. Um, Paulson Adebo was one. And then you have some up-and-comers like Kelvin Joseph, who – just because they played at Kentucky, which is not a small school. You know, these were big-time recruits as well. So we can go down the list. I think um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are up to, you know, 10 and even 12 guys who contribute right away in this class. You, you mentioned Denzel Ward. He went fourth overall. I think that was kind of a surprise that year in 2018. Um, it, it, that was the year the Browns had two top five picks, and they took Baker Mayfield one and Ward four. So – uh, this year, this cornerback class, it seems to me it's been picking up steam. What's the earliest pick where you could see a cornerback coming off the board? Yeah, good question. So I was thinking of Marshawn Lattimore. That's why I got both of those guys confused. Marshawn Lattimore, Marlon Humphrey, that group. So in this class, as I just said, that I think that a lot of you know top guys will be able to contribute right away. The only one that I would pick, use a top 15, top 20 pick on is J.C. Horn. Because that's the prototype. Like, that's the guy. That's what you want in a cornerback for several reasons. Uh, there has been some takes from a certain website calling J.C. Horn not athletic, which is certainly a take. Um, everything about him I love, honestly. Like, he has that dog in him. He's super aggressive. When you talk about guys holding or, you know, him, him being grabby down the field, that just tells me he's in a position to make a play, honestly. And he uses the college – uh, the college rules to his advantage. Um, we've seen it time and time again where guys just kind of adapt. Uh, J.C. Horn did everything you want to. First of all, he tests like an elite athlete. He ran a 4.39, jumped 41 inches in the vertical. But he plays with great technique. He plays with great patience. And you always want to see guys finish. And Horn finished often. 
And not just that, he was in a position to make a play. And he, he was willing to come up as a run defender. Like, I can just go on and on and on. Uh, the biggest issue with most college cornerbacks, and just in the NFL as well, cornerbacks run parallel with receivers, and they don't put themselves in a position to make a play. Horn undercuts routes, and I think that's what makes him special, and that's what separates him from a guy like Patrick Sertan. Horn is, I believe, the consensus, at least on this. Justin, you have Horn as your top guy as well? Yeah, that's correct. I've got J.C. Horn as my cornerback one. And, and we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, when you look at Horn play, he gets comp to, to keep Tlaib a lot. I think a lot of that one is, as you said, that physicality. But there's not a lot of guys that are as willing to be physical like he is and and to leave is really your prototype in terms of aggressive physical corner um the question is do you think he can be have that same type of longevity that to had because i mean even in his final years in in los angeles he was playing at a high level I really do, and that's it goes back to his athleticism. So Horn did play enough of off coverage and enough press coverage where he's not he doesn't have to jam and use, you know, that physicality. And he still stayed in phase. He stayed in phase with guys like Elijah Moore. He stayed in phase with this player named Devonta Smith, who we actually had a pass breakup against last year, um, showing that recovery speed. So because of that, because of his elite traits that recovery speed I just mentioned, his athleticism that we've talked about, and just his awareness overall, just his ability to read routes. I think that's why Horn is going to last a long, long time. His genes obviously don't hurt as well. In fairness to PFF, Sam, uh, he's no Gary Peters. We know that much, but <laughs> we, yeah, I think we all agree then. So are we, are the three of us in agreement then that JC Horn is the cornerback number one in this class? Yeah. Okay. hundred percent. All right, so number two is where we might start to, to get some varying takes, and I'm going to go with uh, Greg Newsom out of Northwestern. This is a guy that really grew on me, and I think uh, I really like the way he makes plays on the ball. Another guy who tested through the roof, and he went up against some, some tough challenges. Uh, despite what Seth thinks about the Big Ten, I think Greg Newsom <laughs> did have some tough receivers to cover in the conference, so... Uh, he ended up being my cornerback, too. I just thought he was a smoother athlete than the next guy, uh, who I, the next two guys, really, who I also like. So th this was a player, such a ball hawk. Did, we didn't get to see too much of him this year, but a guy who, and this is something that I, I uh, adhere to, something I heard Bill Belichick talk about before, or at least read about, that he talks about, um, is the defensive backs to have the most combined pass breakups plus interceptions. And then, the, then looking at the rest of their uh, package. And this is a guy who fits that bill. Greg Newsom would be my cornerback too. CB three for me. And he is just such a nuisance. He's a pain in the ass. That's the, that's the best way to describe him, which is a big time compliment for a cornerback. He does not make anything easy for receivers and again he, he has this you know bad habit of being grabby but I think it just works in his favor because he finds ways to disrupt routes for opposing receivers you mentioned the whole pass breakups thing he allowed 12 catches in 2020 he broke up nine passes that is just unreal and it's because of his patience and he's a lot 
better with his transitions than people give him credit for, as we thought. As you mentioned, the whole Big Ten speed thing. He ran a 4.39, and if you are, you know, suspect of that time, as you should be during this cycle, he also had a 40-inch vertical. So that kind of tells you the type of athleticism we're working here. Um, I just don't think he has any wasted step in his movement. He's just super quick, great ball skills. Northwestern smart guy. He's really a nerd, if anything. Can we call him that? I know we're only allowed sure. to call certain races that, but um, route recognition. So he understands that, and he just he's as I mentioned, always a nuisance, always in the face of a wideout. And against David Bell, who's going to be an NFL receiver at Purdue, uh, I think he's a sophomore this this year at Purdue, this past year at Purdue. Uh, they had a great battle, and that was one of the best battles of of any one on one matchup that I've seen this year, but. Yeah, Greg Newsom is a first-round cornerback, and he deserves to go in the first round. Yeah, and I, I have Newsom as cornerback, too, as well. So it's interesting because I think the biggest knock on Newsom is going to be his size at just 192 pounds. So he's not he's not as big as guys like Horn and Farley and Sertan, but he definitely plays as big as they do. Um, he's definitely not quite you know as physical as as horn but rarely are guys that physical but like but like kyle said i think nuisance is a great way to describe him i would say kyle fuller think kyle fuller if you're uh if we're throwing comps out and and it's funny too because cardinals fans i mean i always break this off into cardinals stuff because well that's what i do but cardinals fans are you know oh well news you know if you go newsome in the first round trade down a little bit it's like the bears could use a replacement for Kyle Fuller <laughs> and, and get the same type of player. <laughs> and, and that's who Newsom is. And so it's like, just draft good players and you'll be fine. Yeah, you can't go back too far with, with Newsom because there's a lot of teams in the back end of the first round that, that are looking at corners like Cleveland, I think green Bay. So you can't go too far back and still think you're going to get one of these top corners. I the guy that the first round, the guy that's been kind of the number one corner since probably he walked onto the field at Alabama, Patrick Sertan. I think I have him as quarterback three. I know Kyle is lower on him than most, and it's not that you're low on him as in that he's bad. It's just that you see more upside with different guys am i right yeah i don't when you have when you rank these guys if you have one person over another you automatically hate the other person and that's just how the internet reads rankings forever and ever and ever in sertan's case i just think the guys i have him a cb5 which is you know outlandish to a lot of people and i can understand why based on that's when people are gonna internet People are going to turn this show off when they hear that. <laughs> There's a reason, though. Like, his transitions are not good. When he has to break on either in-breaking routes that are quick, like a dig, or, like, comebacks or sharp out routes, he loses a step consistently against guys. And when he has to turn and run on straight vertical routes against quality wideouts, he loses those matchups. And that's not to say that, you know, he's not, he doesn't have good traits around him because he – like that's what you want as far as understanding, you know, how to play with leverage or, you know, just just aesthetically his technique is great. But I just don't think he's the same type of athlete that the other guys are. 
And I don't think he's he puts himself in a position or stays in phase like the other guys who I have above him are. I really think that he's going to struggle to turn and run at the next level and stay in phase on these intermediate routes where, you know, that's where the NFL lives. It's not going to be. Um, I, I just don't think he's going to be bailed out as much as he was at Alabama. And that's why I have him as CB5. Good player, but I would not call him a special player by any means. So Sertan is my cornerback three as well, but we are missing, Kyle, we're missing your cornerback two. So who's the mystery man that slotted in there for you? Oh, yeah, and this is where people are really going to turn the show off. So Tyson Campbell out of Georgia is my guy in this draft. Like, I know that he did not play well against some of the better competition. So he's going to get a bad rap because he gave up a couple plays to Devonta Smith and Kyle Pitts. Guess who else did? Every freaking body else. I don't know how that gets held against him, but when you watch those games, he's making these dudes work. Like, nothing came easy against Devonta Smith, whereas, yes, he gave up a catch, but it might have been like four to five seconds in the route. That doesn't really bother me at all. Uh, he's just a really tough competitor. He ran a 4-4. He's a track guy, so he's, he's a really, really fast guy, and he actually plays that fast. He was 6'1", 193 pounds. He had a below-average vertical and agility drills. But when I watch him, he's always in phase, does not get beat deep. The big plays that he gave up this past year were really just 50-50 balls that if you flip a coin, next time he makes those plays or those go in his direction and he, you know, he has the ball in his hands. So I'm betting on traits when I talk when I look at Campbell and I, I lean him to be more of a star in the NFL than, you know, than being a bust. I really think he has Marlon Humphrey written all over again because he can play inside, he can play out, he's aggressive, uh, he's a lot more physical than you'd imagine him, and he is just great, great as far as closing speed goes so just a high football iq guy that i i just don't i feel like we're just getting too caught up in the big plays that he gave up and that's why he's a little down the board but he's going to be a stud campbell's a guy i really like but my favorite anecdote about campbell is that he and sertan were teammates yeah. in high school can you imagine like <laughs> that would have been the, the funnest year to be a dc ever <laughs> Showing up to a game and Patrick Sertan the second, Tyson Campbell or the other corner, like lining up from you. Oh, that's so funny. So cornerback three for you is Newsome. Cornerback four uh, for myself is a guy that sat out this year. And we've, we've tried to be kind of fair about these guys that opted out as, as much as we possibly can. And Paulson Adebo out of Stanford. Um, when you talk about, when you talk about ball skills and a guy that gets his hand on the ball all the time, uh, there's really not anybody else in this class that does it as well as Adebo. I love him. And I wanted to put him over Sertan, but I just didn't have that in me. Um, I think that <laughs> Adebo is the ultimate wild card in this draft. He has the potential to be a very special player. You mentioned his ball production. So 114 targets in college, 33 of those he broke up. That, that just, you don't find that anywhere at all. And there's a reason because he can run and he ran a 4.45, but you can tell that he can run. He also had a 6.693 cone, so he can move a little bit too. I really think his trigger, like just getting downhill and closing is as good as it gets and his aggression is, is as well. He can be a little bit reckless, but that really doesn't bother me because he's making so many plays. And yes, his recklessness does pour into 
uh, tackling at times, but he's a willing run defender. And I think that goes a long way. So he has a play strength and or sorry, his play strength and open fin tackling are probably the only things that I would have an issue with. But he is an afterthought because he has not played and he's probably going to slide in the draft because of that. But he is always in a position to make a play on the ball. He doesn't really get beaten on these double moves because he's such a good athlete. And I just think that he's a guy who's so comfortable playing off in your face. You can do whatever you want with him. And for that reason, and obviously his eight interceptions over the past two seasons or in the in the two seasons that he did play is are going to be the reason why, you know, he's going to be a very good player at the next level. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Debo as well. I, I have him as cornerback five. And I think when it, what it comes down to, you know, he he's it's weird that he sat out and he kind of went from being uh, mocked in every first round last year when he could have declared as a redshirt sophomore to now he's like you said an afterthought when it comes to first round mocks. And I think that he's I just think he's too good of a player to fall that far. I I think that uh, when it comes down to it, he's going to go probably in the second round at this point. Um, but it, it it was just strange to me that that uh, he fell out of favor like that when he had been mocked consistently in the top of the first round. And I wanted to say, you, you mentioned a, a degree of recklessness. That's kind of like that Marcus Peters thing, where ah. Marcus Peters would, would get like seven interceptions, but people would say, well, he also gave up X number of big plays. But those seven interceptions are game changers. You know, those, those, those swing entire games. You can give up a touchdown once in a while if you can also – break up passes and get some picks in key situations. And I like those gamblers. So Adebo's a, a, a good one for me. Those, so you bring up Marcus Peters, what matters more? One interception or three plays of 40 yards given up? Because you're taking points off of the board and you're also more than likely putting your offense in a position to score if you didn't or if you didn't take it back to the house, which Peters has done. So yeah, those, those comparisons are silly and I like that. Um, I like tying that in to Adebo. Who's your number four, uh, Justin? My number four, I'm going to go with Caleb Farley. I can't let him fall too far because of, of the back injury because I'll use the old draft Twitter cliche. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, so I don't have, <laughs> I'm not privy to his MRIs and things like that. I have, to, I have to believe that he's a young guy and he's going to bounce back from this injury at least in a way where he's going to have a, a decent five to six, seven year career. And I've talked about it with Gronkowski before people let him fall very far in that, in that draft when he came out of Arizona, I think it was 2010 and he ends up going on and having a hall of fame career. Certainly we can't project that, but as much as we can't project a hall of fame career, we can't project that he's just going to be injury riddled his whole life. So I think he got the procedure done. He has time to recover from it. We know he's very athletic, so I don't think him, not testing is is a big deal and he's another guy that just makes plays on the ball and that's the key factor for me in in these cornerbacks because of what we have access to look at watching guys break up passes and intercept passes and really and he's he's a big hitter too so i really like caleb farley i couldn't let him fall too far yeah i have him as my cb4 as well that for the same reasons like if he was totally healthy i'm sure he'd be in the you know in the running for cb1 but we can't do that we so you say you know we say we're not a doctor but we know what he just went through and whoever comes back from like a, a better back like who, who said oh my back got better that does, just doesn't happen especially with what his profession is and will be 
But I mean, we just talked about Adebo's uh, ball production. Farley had 28 pass breakups and six interceptions on 95 targets. If you were to build a cornerback, he would look like Farley. There are zero limitations as far as physical limitations go when you're talking about Farley. I think he ran a 4-2-8 this pro day. And so if you want to add, if you want to turn that into a 4-3-3, uh, sure. Like he, he really does play that fast. He has unreal closing speed. Like unlike probably anything you've ever or will see because guys who are that size should not be able to move like that. There are plays where it seems like he's beaten in coverage and then by a couple steps too, like not just by a step or two or by a step, but uh, he just makes it up like it's nothing. And he does it over and over. I actually think he has a little bit of the same recklessness as Adiba does. Um, but I just think that he's just more refined in the sense that he can get away with whatever because he can run like the wind. And he is a little bit over-reliant on his athleticism. So uh, why I did say he would be in the running for CB1, I do think he can refine that. But that'll just come back with uh, him playing more, him understanding you know, what he can and can't get away with. I, I hope he's healthy. Because based on what we saw in college, it will be hard to imagine him not being successful at the next level. And these guys are so big. I mean, 6'2", Farley 6'2", 207, Sertan 6'2", 208. But uh, Farley Farley actually has the most length because of his height in addition to having 33-inch arms. You know, he's got long arms too. So I really just um, – it's true that guys, you never – like we said last week, you never used to have a bad back. But you can manage it, and especially if you're a young a young guy in good shape, I think he's got that going for him. So I'm looking forward to seeing him recover from it, and I think he's gonna, you know, he he's probably gonna slip till late in the first round, but I still think some team's gonna take a chance back there. I think we got everybody's top five except your number five, Seth. Yeah, I have Asante uh, Samuel Jr. I have Farley at seven, and the reason I have Farley at seven is simply because my first six I would take in the first round. So Samuel and then Tyson Campbell are five and six. I would take those guys in the first round. And you guys kind of hit it on the head with Farley. I would take Farley in the first round, probably in front of Newsom if he was healthy. But a back for that type of athlete. And I think for me, the biggest concern was that he re-injured it in training. So that's kind of my scary. So scary. That's just, I mean, it wasn't even like it was in the season, like, cause he didn't play last year, obviously. So that was, that, that's my concern. But Samuel is the smallest of, of the bunch. Uh, but I think he's listed at five ten, about 180 pounds, but he is, uh, he's a smooth operator, man. Outside. He, he's, Again, you want to talk about those genes. You got Horn, um, you've got Sertan, and you've got Asante Samuel. Like these guys were just bred to play cornerback in the NFL. Like it's just they're just different the way they operate. And 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 that's you know when you watch Samuel, it's hard to watch him, especially the last two years because Florida State's been so bad. <laughs> and and I think I honestly think that's kind of why he's bumped down some is that it they've just been such a bad team um the biggest issue with him is going to be size i mean at 510 180 like can he be more than a slot guy because he was very successful outside so it's not like he's only played in the slot i just don't know 
I mean, I just don't know if the NFL will allow him to be successful outside or if they're going to try to pigeonhole him. Um, he's got kind of that Brent Grimes style ah. to him where they're a little undersized, but they're, they're willing to stick their nose in. Um, let's hope, you know, he's a little bit smarter in in his off-field decisions than Grimes was. <laughs> hey, hey, now. Shout out, Miko. <laughs> so, yeah, for those that don't know, I waste all of my Saturdays during the college season watching Florida State football, and that's been the way for all of my life, and I just cannot change it. I have watched a ton of Asante Samuel Jr. I do not believe for one second he runs a 4-4-5 because that's what he ran at his 40. I would guess he's more of a mid-4-5 guy. I have him as CB9. Because of the size you mentioned, I think that for it's not often that guys who are small play small. I think Asante Samuel does play small. He did have issues with, you know, guys who are bigger and stronger than him. And if that was an issue in college, I can only imagine what that's going to be like at the next level. Uh, his mannerisms and his route recognition are almost identical to his dad, which is ridiculous because he can get a like he has an insanely quick trigger he can jump routes he can read what you're trying to do but when he has to play like straight up man coverage against like the best of the best i just have questions with him uh, just being able to keep up athletically and if he is in position he's going to make a play because he does have you know good ball skills and he can get his head around and make a play um even close on the ball and limit the limit the route but I just feel like overall there are a lot more questions about in his game, and that's why I, I wouldn't probably touch him in the top 50. Kyle, who's one corner later in the draft that you like that isn't getting talked up enough? So Adebo, Adebo I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Um, I did like him a lot, but Perfect. he's going to go. fit in right here. <laughs> he's going to go a lot earlier than, you know, Justin just said top 50, which sounds about right because the NFL just values ball production, and he's fast, and he played at Stanford, so he's going to go high. I like Darren Hall out of San Diego State. He's my CB10, and there are not many differences in his game than Asante Samuel um, when you just lay it all out there so hall is probably the one cornerback outside the top five who i would bet on uh he is 511 188 pounds so you know there's the whole weight thing but he ran a 447 jumped 38.5 had an 11 foot broad jump which is great where i saw some receiver or sorry some cornerback struggle in zone coverage is just as far as relating to receivers that was not an issue for hall he was always clued in and finding work uh, relating to somebody he has a really really good closing burst and his footwork is a lot cleaner that and that allowed him to make plays on the ball the big issue with hall was just turning his head and finding the ball which is in the air which you know you, you don't want to say he's really good until the ball's in the air uh, i'm just betting on him being able to you know even make that skill a little bit better because he played so much off coverage you would think that he's going to get better and better with more NFL coaching so I think Hall's going to be a really good one and my runner-up would probably be Aaron Robinson out of UCF I like that one I, I'm a big Robinson fan I actually like both corners from UCF Robinson and Tay Gowan so they're 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 a fun group to watch um, I'm interested to see what the NFL thinks of them and where exactly they go that's a good question because Robinson, he ran a 4-3, so he ran really well. He 
he was only 186 pounds. But these guys have watched Robinson play, and he does not play like he's 186 pounds at all. He's very physical. So I feel like he's going to be a sneaky second rounder. Not that it matters so much this year, but uh, I think it's indicative of what, how the NFL was feeling about Gowan when he was a combine snub. So I thought that was really interesting that he, he didn't get the combine invite. So I, I feel like they're probably pretty low on him, and I wouldn't look to see him come off the board till sometime on day three. I didn't have him in my top 15. Yeah, I've got a name for you guys, and I want to throw this out here because I, I want to uh, fluff the Big Ten again a little bit. And uh, this is Illinois cornerback Nate Hobbs. That's a name that I, I think people should know. He's uh, 5'11", 196. He could end up in the slot, but I think he can play outside. And he's a guy who ran well, and he jumped out of the gym, 40.5-inch vertical and 135-inch broad jumps that's 11 feet three inches that's incredible explosiveness Hobbs is quick enough and he is a good enough on ball defender I really liked his aggressiveness too he's not afraid to get into the mix and make stops and, and tackles in the run game so I think he's going to be available you know probably late on day three but this is a guy I would scoop up in the late rounds and you might have something there uh going forward he's a good rotational guy maybe even a guy who can spot start for you it's great athleticism numbers, and I don't know much about him. I've spoken to people about him, and they really love his just transitions. And transitions are the name of the game in for a cornerback. If you can get in and out of your breaks, you can play. And they, when I brought up Nate Hobbs' name, because I've never watched him. I'm not going to pretend to have watched him, but I do know that he has a track background, which is always plus for me. He's a high jump and long jumper. And they mentioned that he is just great in his transition. So that alone should tell you he's probably going to stick somewhere. And that's what you want. And I know our good friend Emery Hunt is also a, a, a Nate Hobbs guy. So that's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Seth, who's your guy? The uh, the question, the guy I had a question on that I like um, later in the draft is the kid out of Oregon, Lenore. I'm not going to try to pronounce his first name. Um and I believe I, it's Diamador Lenore. I'll take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> and when you watch him play, you talk about physicality and, and a guy that plays maybe a little reckless. That That's what I get with Lenore. He didn't test out of this world. He didn't test poorly at all. But in a year where you're seeing, you know, four, four threes as the norm, he ran a 4-4-40. Four, four, um a four, 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 sorry. Uh, you know, he was, he didn't have a great vertical, but when you watch him play, he's just a physical guy, um, that plays a little bigger than his, you know, listed five ten one ninety nine. The name, uh, that I kept coming up with for him was Jimmy Ward. And now the reason why is because is he a guy that is going to kind of be that bounce guy that bounces between like corner and safety and, and plays a little bit all over the place because of how physical he plays? Or do you think he can stick at corner in the NFL if you guys have watched him? Couldn't tell you who that is, but I'm going to watch him now that you said that name. Comparison, that is. I, th yeah, I it's think just... it's interesting that you, you mentioned maybe him floating to safety. Um because that's kind of how he, he tested out. He kind of tested out like a guy that is not going to be able to, to stay in the slot. But I honestly, I couldn't tell you. It, I haven't seen enough of him to know 
if he can um, if he can really stick with those quicker inside receivers. But just looking at the metrics on him, he does look like a player who might be destined for a move to safety. Anybody else you want to talk about before we head out of here? So I know you guys are about to get into safeties. Um, I want to run down a couple of names real quick. So the top safety that has been many assume is going to go in the first round. Trevin Morig from TCU. I don't think he's any good. And I'm just going to leave it there because small, slow, and not aggressive. I've watched games where he just does not fit, does not fill, does not run the alley. And he just plays passive. When you play passive in the secondary, you are not going to last in the NFL. His teammate, Ardarius Washington, I would take him every day of the week over Morig. I honestly don't think it's close. And I wonder, you know, why, how we even got to TC, uh, Morig being number one. Uh, I think Javon Holland, small and slow. Paris Ford, 4'8". Nope. I think Cisco, Andre Cisco out of Syracuse is the guy in this class. He just so happened to you know, missed 2020 because of an injury and he's coming off of a serious injury. So uh, hopefully he's recovered. But if there is a uh, safety that I'm going to bet on in this draft, who is unlike anyone else, I would say it's Andre Cisco and it's not close. That's a great call. And um, we'll get in more as, as Kyle alluded to, we're going to get more into safeties this week, later in the week on the Patreon episode that we're going to do, we're going to do safeties and linebackers for that show. Um, one guy I'm surprised that didn't come up in any of this cornerback talk is Eric Stokes, who was oh. uh, 43140. I think it was the second fastest 40, or at least the fastest 40 on, among defensive players. I think might be uh, second fastest to Anthony Schwartz overall, but nobody had uh, Stokes in their top five. I think that he's, might he's, tell you something. He's actually my number eight after Farley. Um, but when you look at him, as you were about to say, I think there's some there's some flags for Stokes' play when you go back and watch him, um, and we can talk about that in, in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, well, I like Stokes because are. yeah, I like Stokes because he's fast and he's got good good size, but he's got the grabbiness without all the ball production that we talked about with all these other guys. So I think he's probably more of a a project. And I, so I still like him. I think he's going to go probably on day two be, because of that 40 time. But I would he's, he's probably going to come along a little more slowly, don't you think, Kyle? I've seen him mock, mocked in the top 50, and I, I just would not get on board with that at all. I have him CB 14. So 425 is what he ran at, the, at his pro day. And he probably plays like a fourth, like a four three flat guy. So that's not terribly surprising. I also jumped very well. because he did do the shuttle times and there's a reason because I do not think he can change directions at all without giving up without taking false steps or just losing separation I think too often he he just has you know there's a gap between him and the receiver and he does not squeeze that so uh, I mentioned parallel running parallel with the receiver early on here that's the biggest difference between like the top guys and Stokes and that's why I don't think you know he is in the same tier as these other guys he just comes as comes off as like a stiffer cornerback when asked to change directions. And I think he's aggressive in general. So that's why I'm a little lower on Stokes than most people. And I think, I think what you said is that absolutely like the perfect reason why Stokes is that guy that you probably take outside of the top 75 because from a, from a size and, and athleticism profile, 
he's a top, you know, 30 guy. But when you watch him play, the athleticism doesn't show up. Um, and, and and so you want him a little later. You want you want to be able to invest some time in him as opposed to uh, expecting him to come on the scene and play right away. And I think that's, I mean, what you said is, is, is perfect. I mean, he plays like a track guy and he is a track guy. I mean, he's right. a world-class track guy and that's kind of what he plays like. He doesn't play as fluid as these other corners do in a class loaded with guys that can change direction really well. So to recap these rankings, tier one, all by himself, JC Horn, tier two, Tyson Campbell, Greg Newsom, Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan, tier three, Paulson Adebo, Kelvin Joseph, a name that we didn't talk about, CB7, also a name that a little surprised we didn't talk about, Afitu Melifanu, Syracuse, was able to speak with him, great interview. No, CB8, Asante Samuel, CB9 in tier three, the tier four, Darren Hall, my God. CB10, Aaron Robinson, CB11, Zach McPherson is an interesting name. Penn State transfer also can run despite what Seth says about Big Ten guys. Uh, <laughs> CB12, Elijah Molden, slot guy, doesn't have the same athleticism. Is has you know the same dog and um, dog and aggression, but I just think he's going to be you know, limited more at the pro level. CB13, then Eric Stokes. And then small school, well, not small school, App State, Shamar Jean Charles is a guy who, again, just too much ball production for me to leave off CB15. Well, that's perfect. I mean, these are great rankings and a great way to kind of filter through a lot of the noise on, on the cornerback class because there are some differing opinions. And I will say this, and, and he won't do it, so I will for him. Um, Kyle was the first guy I remember, and this was in February, talking about J.C. Horn is the best corner in the class. And now we're, at, once this gets posted, we'll be nine days out until the 2021 NFL draft when J.C. Horn's going to be the first corner off the board. Uh, so, you know, one, take that for what you will. Maybe Horn bust and, and everybody's wrong. But uh, you saw something early on that you really liked about Horn and and – you know, that's why we wanted to have you on here and have this discussion with you. I appreciate that, man. I'm, uh, again, if, if he's wrong, if he's a bust, this episode never happened. Yeah, we, we have a way of getting things off the internet. <laughs> we just so. go on hiatus for three years again. And, yes, and you do. Everyone forget about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what do you think, guys? We got some time for a couple hot takes? Yeah, go ahead. You have all right. I want I wanted to bring this one up because I, it's I'm I'm baiting Kyle into SB Nation on SB Nation crime, and uh, this is uh, this was a discussion that was going back and forth about whether or not the Eagles, before they traded back, should uh, draft Jamar Chase at where they were at at six, I believe, or Kyle Pitts, and. Uh, a gentleman named Mark Jaffe said they have struggled to spread the field on offense. A tight end won't help. And to which bleeding green nation at bleeding green, which is the Eagles uh, SB nation site handle said, if you think Jamar chase spreads the field, I've got some bad news for you. Three cry laughing emojis. Kyle, what <laughs> happened to the bleeding green nation account? Was it hacked that day? First of all, BLG, love you, love you to death. In this instance, 
it's okay to be wrong, man. <laughs> um, I would take I would take Pitts over Chase, but I mean Chase is one of those. Is in a weird way he's sneaky fast and can stretch the field, and it seems like whenever he was throwing the ball down the field, he won. So I mean, Philly just needs a guy, and Chase is a guy. So I'm not as high as on Chase as others are, but he would easily be the best receiver they've had in the past couple of seasons. Kyle, there's one more I wanted to read to you, and Justin put out a highlight of uh, Najee Harris running a wheel route and catching a pass on a terribly thrown ball by Tua Tagovailoa over uh, recent first-round pick Patrick Queen. Um, Ooh, I and then, and then uh, a couple people responded that, oh yeah, great play, but he's no Travis Etienne when it comes to receiving. And being better in space. Well, because ETN had more catches. So you know it. He had more catches. And, so he must and, be a better receiver. And so I mean with that that's always my question. Do people just go off of the pure statistics of things and they don't actually like watch the games that, that are going on where where ETN's catching the ball and where, you know, these things are happening? So Najee is probably going to be a star in the NFL, and it isn't going to be because of what he does on the ground. Like He is a difference maker in the air. He just knows – I mean, I, I don't want to get into depth about, you know, what he does on check releases. If we just talk about, you know, where he knows where to go in pass protection and what he does as a route runner and how easily he catches the ball over his shoulder compared to probably any other running back, he, he he's a guy. He just makes – so much he, he makes the offense so much better because you don't have to take Najee Harris off the field you talk about making guys myth miss he broke 34 tackles last year so it's not like he's some scrub and he's not as we mentioned before he's not Derrick Henry he's not running through guys he's legit making you miss or jumping over you I don't know what you watch and again we, we're gonna agree and disagree on a lot of players but to come to the conclusion that Harris is not the same receiver as etn who probably caught like if he caught 20 balls i'd imagine 15 of those were screens or checkdowns whereas harris is running legit routes out of the backfield and not just five ten yards he's run they're throwing him the ball down the field and it looks so easy so yeah i'm excited to see harris hopefully he gets snagged up by a good team because he looks like a star to me and i don't say that often about that position Well, that's it from us today. Kyle, we really appreciate you uh, coming on here. Why don't you plug your stuff real quick uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, just go to NinersNation.com so I can feed my family. I am talking about the 49ers all day, every day. Uh, subscribe to SB Nation NFL show as Justin and Seth will after this. Hopefully their next guest is on uh, with Bleeding Green Nation. <laughs> I'm sure they'll want to come on and defend that take. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for listening, guys. Uh, if you're interested, sign up for the Patreon. You can find links on Justin and I's uh, Twitter profile or just search Patreon for Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. We'll you can also follow on Twitter at DB underscore pod. The DB stands for Draft Breakdown in this case. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> so we'll be back in a couple uh, days to discuss 
the uh, linebackers and the safeties and kind of round out our, our, our takes on this class. So thanks for Kyle for joining us. And uh, thanks to Justin and, and uh, Rob for doing all the work behind the scenes. Uh, We'll be back shortly. What do you guys think for the outro for now? Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now we could do um